All right, if you'll open your Bibles to Genesis 11, we're going to continue our study. Uh, Pastor Cord did an absolutely phenomenal job with chapter 8 and 9, finishing the story of Noah. Give him a hand. He can't hear it, but... um, I was FaceTiming with my wife and, and she said, yeah, he was preaching from Genesis 8, but then he went to First Peter th- or Second Peter 3 and I said, oh, he went to the baptism passage. And she said, yeah, and I want you to know that over those two weekends that Pastor Cord preached, 17 people gave their lives to Christ and were baptized. So we rejoice, we rejoice in that. And it's such a blessing to me because I'm able to go to Egypt and do part of what God's called me to do there. And uh, it's, a, it's a win all the way around. But I did hear him whining last week about some of the jobs he had to do as a, as a, a teenager. Listen, we mowed grass. It was like 212 degrees in Missouri. Uh, we hauled hay, which is absolutely vicious in the middle of the summer. Uh, we, my worst job was working on a chicken farm. That's the most disgusting thing that I've ever done in my life. Uh, and then I got a job with a roofing company. All right. Ever, anybody ever done roofs in the middle of the summer? Yeah. Fun. Fun, right? Fun time. Um, and, you know, they say something like, hey, see that 200-pound thing? Pick that up and take it up there. And, uh, and, I, and I did it for a while. And then I'll tell you what triggered me. The, the last day I was there, they said, no, Joe, you're not going to do this anymore. You're going to go to college. One of the guys came down with shingles. <laughs> Cord, Cord thinks he's funny. All right. <clears throat> you know, I usually don't make a big deal about my titles, but I like this title. It's called Messing with Powers That You Don't Understand. It's a line from the first of the Indiana Jones movies. And it's a reminder that God is not to be toyed with. It's when they're going to search for the Ark of the Covenant. But sadly, I see so many Christians today that look at God, I think, in one of two ways. Number one, a cosmic gumball machine where he just pours out money so you and I can buy cars and jets and clothes and land. And the other people seem as an old toddling grandfather who we just blow past him and do whatever we want. Instead of seeing him as the almighty creator, sustainer, savior of the world. We reduce God into some kind of a little box that he was never meant to be in. And an example of that is a, is a study I saw recently that said 77% of Americans have a Bible. All right, well, that's not super encouraging in itself. That means, that means that there's about 72, 720,000 Americans that don't even have a Bible. But of the those who do, check this statistic out, the people who have a Bible say they're Christians, 39% say they read their Bible three to four times a year. Wow. No wonder the church has lost its identity. No wonder the church can't take a stand on biblical issues. No wonder the church doesn't believe in Genesis. No wonder we can't explain sexuality or what's a man or what's a woman. We don't take stands against abortion. Because most of 
people's theology, dare I say it, comes from shows like The View. And we wonder why the church is in the mess that it's in. So I'm going to read to you uh, the chapter about the Tower of Babel. That's what we're going to focus on today. If you'll be uh, stand out of respect for God, we shall go through these this opening section. <clears throat> now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Now I'm going to explain that to you in a minute. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. Shinar is the the land between the Euphrates and Tigris River in Iraq today and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. Look at this line. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us. Notice us. God is one, but he exists in three forms, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You can be seated. So there's a whole lot to unpack here. Now, first of all, to give you a historical reference, it um, the Tower of Babel was not, uh, when Italian Renaissance painters painted it, they painted what they knew a tower looked like. So when you see Italians paint the Tower of Babel, it looks like the leaning tower of, of Pisa. But that's nothing to do with how the Tower of Babel looked. The Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. It was, it was a, uh, in the shape of a pyramid, uh, a step pyramid. That's what they looked like. And we found the remnants of the Tower of Babel. They're out in the open in southern Iraq. In fact, I was on a plane two weeks ago. We flew right over the very spot where the Tower of Babel is. It's, uh, we know the footprint of it. It's got baked bricks. It's got tar. It's in the right place. Now, these pyramids are all over the world. If you've traveled at all, they have huge pyramids like this in Mexico City. They have them in Guatemala, everywhere. The Mayans had them. They're in Honduras. They're in Belize. They're in China. They're in Japan. They're in Peru. They're everywhere. All of the cultures. What's up with all of these giant pyramids? Every one of them is a copy of the Tower of Babel. It's a group of people that said, we will now make a name for ourselves. Just like they did the first time, even though God came and destroyed the work. <clears throat> now, what's the story about this baked brick? Well, if you look at all the stones of the great pyramids in Egypt, Peru, 
wherever you're at. They're all cut perfectly and the stone is stacked. They're huge stones. But stone has a limited weight capacity. And at a certain point, the stones will just crack and collapse and fall in on each other. But the engineers in ancient Babylon figured out that if you baked these bricks, you could go hundreds of feet higher. And they were absolutely correct. We've done tests today where we've done compression tests and the bricks are so much stronger they could have gone up hundreds of feet. The, the, tower, the, the biggest pyramid in Egypt is 450 feet high. But they could have gone up hundreds and hundreds of feet. They weren't going to get to God. But the point was their technology, their engineers had come up with this plan. We'll use the tar. This will hold it together. And we will build this massive Elvis to say we are somebody. Okay. All of this, all of this takes us back to creation. That's where it starts. Because it says that they were of one language and one common speech. Do you see that? That's very important. That is very important. Because if you talk to non-believers and they say, well, language developed over time. It did, huh? So do we have language written down where, where some guys just going, ugh, ugh, ugh? Uh, where did, how did language start? Evolutionists will never, ever talk about the issue of different languages because they have no answers. If evolution happened, there would have been one language, we'd all speak the same language, and that would be it. When God got finished... With creation, we did speak one language. <clears throat> I don't know what it was. Some people think it was Hebrew. For today, we'll, we'll just go with that analogy that it was Hebrew. All right? So God, God creates and it says they had one language and spoke the same language. What, what's the deal there? Let me help you. They had one spoken language and they could all write it. The oldest writings we have in the world come from the Sumerian text. Guess where the Sumerians lived? If you guessed the plains of Shinar, you would be correct. The thing is, those languages are 100% complete. There's no ramp up like where they were trying to figure it out. There's just a complete language and it's far more complex than modern English. So we're not going... We're down. We're not. We're not going uphill. We're going downhill. So they could write. So well, of course, could Adam write? Well, of course, Adam could write. He had the mind of God. Of course, Moses wrote. Of course, Noah wrote. They were all able to write. They all had one language, and they wrote the same language. And God said, "If we don't stop them, there's nothing they can't do." Now I want to park there for just a second. Because there is, there is something to be said for us there. There's nothing that they can't do. Really. How many times have we as Christians, we as people, we as churches have said, that can't be done. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too expensive. Impossible to do. And yet, God designed us to do the impossible. He said, if we don't go stop them now, there's nothing they won't be able to do. And that's why God put 
and into it. But it all starts with this idea of creation. Paul says it this way. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are now without excuse. So there's no excuse. Jesus came. He died for you. You and I all know that. So if you've not accepted Jesus before we get done, you hit that button. I've decided you come down front here. People will be here to answer your questions. I think we already have a baptism scheduled. You'll get to see one and you say, okay, you know what? It's my turn. I need to step up and make that decision. And then one of the other issues that comes up a lot And I try to debunk this all the time, but the Bible's a man-made book. And my response is always this, who made Charles Darwin's book? I said, now, it's just a matter of who you trust. Because you know Charles Darwin wrote your book. I know the men who wrote the book that I believe is the word of God, but mine is backed by God himself. So you get to choose which book is important to you. But let me ask you this question. If the Bible were truly man-made, would the Bible be full of references of things you couldn't do? If you were writing a book, you would say, and I'm just picking on one topic, get drunk as often as you can. You wouldn't write prohibitions against yourself. Look at the Ten Commandments. If that was a man-made book, would you you really have said, yeah, don't take the Lord's name in vain, uh, don't have any other gods, uh, don't lie, don't steal? No, man would have never written that about himself. It is a gift from God himself. But I will readily admit that both of them were penned by men. You just get to decide which book you want to believe in and which book you're going to rest your soul upon because that's really the core of the whole thing. We got, we got brilliant scientists now who realize that evolution doesn't work. The numbers don't work. The math doesn't work. The science doesn't work. The Big Bang doesn't work. So this is true. Look it up. Their new thing. They believe aliens seeded the planet. Aliens came and they planted humanoids. And now that's what's passing now as science. All right, let's leave that. So then God brings confusion. God said, we got to stop this. So they're all working together one day. And in a split second... They're all speaking Hebrew, and now one guy's speaking Russian, and one guy Spanish, and one guy Latin, and one guy English, and one guy Filipino, and one guy speaking Chinese, and nobody can communicate with each other. It said that day, everything stopped. All the work stopped because God confused their languages. Now, you want to know how the languages got where they did? Well, three or four Filipino guys got together. They could talk to each other. Now, you got to remember, Hebrew is still coming through their head, but there's a different language coming out their mouth. So they think they can communicate, but it's coming out totally different. So they got to find other guys that they can communicate with. So a group of Filipino guys, they get over here, they talk to each other, they say, let's get out of here. And so they go this way. group of English-speaking guys get together. They can talk to each other, they go over there. 
And you want to know how everybody got spread out? And we're going to see that in a minute. They got moved out because they went with the people that they could communicate with. God confused their language. Now, here's the fulfillment of what happened here. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were all gathered up in a room. The Holy Spirit came on the disciples. And what happened? What were the disciples able to do? Come on. Speak in other languages. So all of a sudden, all the languages are there in front of them again from all over the world. And Peter starts speaking Spanish. That's where Peter became Pedro. And then you get, you get somebody else who's speaking Finnish and somebody else who's speaking Russian. And all of the disciples are re, rebringing, or the story's being brought back full circle to when God broke up the languages. Now the gospel is coming back and going to every one of the languages. I mean, is God, is God not cool or what? But he has to bring the confusion to break it up. Now, here was my question, though. They're trying to make a name for themselves. All right. Now, this is always interesting, okay? Nobody has bigger egos on the planet than pastors. I'm just going to tell you that. It is a constant battle to keep an, an ego in check with any pastor. I, I, don't, I don't care if the church runs 10 or 10,000 pastors just to have massive egos. But so does everybody else. And, there, and again, I'm not, I want you to be successful. I want to be successful. But there's a difference in that and wanting to make a name for yourself. Are we trying to make a name for Jesus? Are we trying to make a name for his kingdom? Or are we trying to make a name for ourselves? But what I think is funny in the story is who are they trying to impress? They're the only ones there. All the people of the earth are gathered in the plains of Shinar because... God told them to scatter. And instead of scattering, they said, no, we'll stay here and we'll become somebody special. So let me explain what's happening. They're saying, God, in your face. When Adam and Eve were created, God said, be fruitful, multiply, and cover the earth, subdue the earth. That's what he said. After the flood... Noah and his wife are old. We got three boys, their three sons. Same thing, same commission. Guys, be fruitful and scatter across the earth. Noah's great great grandchildren have a meeting and they say, We're not scattering anywhere. We're going to stay right here and we're going to show God just what kind of people we are. We're going to make a name for ourselves. It was direct defiance. At what God's word had told them to do. Now you know I get I get interested by by articles and I and I was reading the other day about the missiles uh, missile satellites whatever we launch out of here uh, down at down at the Cape and this was the headline. This is what got my attention because a lot of times I don't read the articles, but the headline said the closer you get to the Cape, the better chance you'll have of seeing the rocket. Now, I was so captivated by that headline that I actually read the article. Because I thought, this lady's brilliant and her editor's really dumb. Um, <clears throat> so I, I read this. Yeah, it really says what she said in the lead. But here's what I took from that. The closer you and I get to God's word, the closer you'll get to Jesus. 
And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll start looking and sounding and acting like Jesus instead of being in open rebellion against Jesus. That's the choice that you and I have to make. So then God does scatter them. He scattered them by the languages and by they just wanted to scatter. So they they had to go because now they're all fighting against each other because as soon as they spoke other languages, these guys got upset at this guy <clears throat> and the whole beginning of war starts. We have all everything unpacking from this point on. But what's interesting, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus gave one command. Remember what it was? Go. Go into all the world, scatter out, and make disciples. And after Jesus ascended to heaven, not one Christian left Jerusalem. Not a one. Now they're sitting around. What are they doing? Discussing what it means to go? I mean, how long do you discuss? Gosh, I wonder what that word go means. So finally, Stephen gets killed, and there's great persecution amongst the Christians. And then the next sentence says, and the church was scattered. And guess what happened when the church was scattered? The whole Roman Empire got the gospel. Was it difficult? Yes, it was very difficult as the Christians had to leave Rome, um, leave Jerusalem. They had to leave all their homelands. But as they went, they took the gospel with them. They plant churches everywhere they go. And you know who the last 11 were to leave Jerusalem? The disciples. After everybody else has left, the disciples go, hey, maybe we should go. And they do, and they end up changing the world, all right? I was just in Egypt in Alexandria. Mark was the one that brought the gospel there. Mark died on the streets of Alexandria preaching the gospel. But Christianity was in Egypt and is still in Egypt because Matthew, Mark, that Mark, Mark brought the gospel to Egypt 2,000 years ago. But they were all slow in scattering. And yet that's what we've all been called to do, is to get out and to go. It says in Deuteronomy 4:27, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. Well, what's the purpose? Well, how are we going to influence them? How are we going to reach people if we're not scattered? See, most churches, and this is what's sad, most churches think it's about gathering. You come here for the pep rally to get fired up, to get taught, but you go back to your school, your job, your neighborhood, your friends, and you go your coffee shop, and you go talk about Jesus, talk about your church, you invite people uh, to come. In fact, I'm going to throw this in. in. In 35 years of preaching, I've had people press me over and over again about boycotts, and I just... I don't really, you're grown adults. You want to boycott something, boycott it. That's, that's up to you, okay? I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. Uh, but I, I, I will go the positive side. So uh, this last week, uh, Governor Newsom out in California uh, asked everyone to um, not go to and support any Walgreens because he and the CEO got into it because Walgreens will not carry the morning after pill, with his, which is an abortion kill pill to kill a baby after a conception. And the Walgreens CEO said, we will not have that in our stores. All right, good for him. So in reverse, I say to you, go shop at Walgreens. All right. 
And when you're in Walgreens, tell them why. Tell them why you're there. Tell them you appreciate the stand that the CEOs take. They probably won't even know what you're talking about. But that's okay. That's okay. This is our chance to show. You know what? It works with Chick-fil-A. I bet it'll work with, uh, with Walgreens as well. Uh, but God meant his people to be scattered. And so many churches, so many individual Christians just really just sit in a huddle. And it's like we're just going to sit here until Jesus comes and complain about how bad things are in the schools. Complain about how bad things are in the culture. No, no, no. If the culture's a mess and the schools are a mess and our neighborhoods are a mess, that's on the church. Because we're supposed to be scattering out, bringing light into these communities. I'll finish with this. Um, Indiana Jones is my hero. Not Harrison Ford. Because Harrison Ford's 80 and he's going to die. Uh, but Indiana Jones will live forever. All right? He's just a, a permanent part of, of our lives. But Harrison Ford said something recently. It's like, I've known this is where the culture was, but nobody was... Nobody ever put it into a sentence. And Harrison Ford put it into a sentence uh, that I'll read to you. He said, I don't believe in magic, but a few times in my life I've seen things that I can't explain. What I've come to realize is it doesn't matter what you believe, but how hard you believe it. That is the dumbest statement that's ever been made. However... What Harrison Ford said is what three-fourths of the United States of America believes. It doesn't matter what you believe, just believe it with all your heart. Acts 4.12 says there's only one name under heaven by which you must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. So, Father, as we wrap up today, I don't know who's trying to build a name for themselves. I don't know who needs to rethink their pride I don't know who's been clustered up and needs to scatter out. I don't know who needs to obey your word instead of being an open rebellion. But Lord, to the people in front of me, to the people online, to the people who will watch this weeks from now when they're watching on tape, I ask that your Holy Spirit would penetrate their bodies, their hearts, their souls, and their spirits. And Lord, we'd quit trying to make a name for ourselves. And we would make the name of Jesus bigger and bigger and bigger. Amen.